morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. We'll be continuing our study in Revelation. Someday we'll get through it. Someday. We want to open up to Revelation chapter 13. I'll be reading the last couple verses in chapter 13 and then proceed on through to verse 11 in chapter 14 for today. And the last time I spoke, Jerry asked me, are you going to do one on the mark of the beast? <laughs> so I didn't know how much I could really say about it, but I decided to humor you, Jerry, and this, is, this, this message will be on the mark of the beast. So let's start out by just reading the passage, Revelation 13, verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts, and before the elder and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty-four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Very sobering passage. Uh, and very concerning. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of teaching. There's a lot of false teaching having to do with Revelation and with the Mark of the Beast. What comes to mind immediately is there's been some end times movies made where they think that some who receive the Mark can be saved. And Scripture is clearly saying that is not the case. This is a very serious mark. Once it's 
Once that is done, it's finished. You've made your decision for eternity. It says here that uh, this, the second beast from Revelation 13 causeth all to get this mark of the beast. It will be required for everyone to buy and sell. As for the number of the beast, that 666, I'll touch on that briefly. That's 603 score and 6 means 666. Our score is 20 in the King James language. So I'll just touch on that aspect briefly because I don't really have a lot to say about it. My focus this morning will be more on the mark itself and looking at marks in Scripture, both the marks of God and the marks of Satan and of the devil. The Antichrist himself will be both man and beast at the same time, and I covered this a couple sermons ago. But both man and beast were created on the sixth day. Beasts were created first, before man, but both on the same day. So the number of six is associated with us both. Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 26. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And then verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. The, other, the only other passage where you could find this number referenced, 603 score and 6, is in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, concerning King Solomon. In describing his glory and splendor and all that God had blessed him with, it says in this chapter 10, verse 14, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and 6 talents of gold. What does this have to do with the mark of the beast? Quite frankly, I'm not quite sure, um, but I won't say that there's no significance. I think that given that the mark is required for people to buy and sell and that this reference to Solomon uh, about the gold, there is an economic relationship there, I can see. Um, I think that the Antichrist will may, may go forward himself as the new Solomon. I think that Israel will be very rich at this time, and at first he will be seen as, by Israel, their Messiah, at first. And they will claim him as their own until he betrays them. So there might be a connection there, loosely, but I won't be dogmatic about that. But when you think of the number six, and it says, Who he who hath wisdom count the number of his name. So that's encouraging us to count things in Scripture. God is very precise and orderly. And sometimes it's not always obvious. Sometimes it's a list of things where it's stating many things in order. And when you get to the list, you count how many there were. Um, for instance, and this is a good thing, uh, not a bad thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, 
And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Six things that our Lord Jesus Christ did. He became man for us. He became flesh for us. And in a sense, he took on man's nature that way. Uh, so the number six is associated with him as a man, being in the form of a man. So Satan tries to take what God has done and to mimic it and to be like the Most High, like he says in Isaiah. But connecting wisdom with counting in Scripture is found in an interesting chapter in the Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'll be reading verses 23 to 27. This happens to be the 666th chapter of the Bible. So it's a strong link to say, hey, you should count things in Scripture to find out what God thinks. It says, and this is King Solomon again, coincidentally, after the end of his life, after he had uh, been backslidden from the Lord and realized that it was all foolishness. He says in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 23 to 27, All this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and her hands and his bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this I have found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account. So I encourage you to kind of keep your eye open for that when you're studying your scriptures count things. It reveals things in God's Word. So, when we think of the mark of the beast, it's saying that it shall be in their right hand or in their forehead, not on. Be careful with the language. But what is that speaking to? When you speak of your right hand, usually most people are right-handed. That's your hand of action. That's the things you do. When you think of your forehead, you're thinking of your mind and what your thoughts are. What are your thoughts consumed with? Are they focused on the Lord or, or yourself? Or the things, the temptations of Satan? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, we hear what God wants us to be thinking about. He says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. There's a list of four things. When you think of four, you think of the gospel. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. So it's talking there about the word of God and teaching the word of God. 
and shall bind them for a sign upon thy right hand, which shall be as frontless between thine eyes of your forehead, present in your thoughts. A mark is like a seal. It's, it's saying that something is complete, it's done. This mark of the beast, people, they're now protected against believing in God. They can no longer be saved. God's seal of the Israelites, the antithesis or opposite of the mark of the beast, is provided to the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12,000 from each tribe. And they are protected against Satan. They cannot be lost. They will be preserved. Revelation 7, 2, verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the seed nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed in hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. It goes on to list the twelve tribes that were sealed, two tribes from Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. Every tribe represented except the tribe of Dan. Genesis chapter 49, verse 17 says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. We'll touch more on falling and standing in a little bit. What does that mean for Dan? Not exactly sure. We can speculate. But I'm not here to do much of that this morning. I think the first mark... In scripture was the mark of Cain. You find that in Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, after Cain slew Abel. He was to, to be put out, and Cain was worried. He said it was too much punishment for him to bear. He thought, whoever finds me will kill me in vengeance for my killing of Abel. So in Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, it says, And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. I think that the mark God gave Cain wasn't necessarily a good thing. It just protected him from the vengeance of others for his killing of Abel. It didn't mean he was saved or set right with God in any way. Because in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, it says... Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Cain was of that wicked one, unfortunately for him. There's other marks in Scripture. There's a mark of sin. Job chapter 10, verse 14 says, If I sin, then thou markest me, and thou wilt not acquit me from mine iniquity. Sin must be dealt with. God won't just forget about it. He won't sweep it under the rug. It must be dealt with. There's only one way to deal with it. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Other marks in Scripture. Job 16, verse 12 says, I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. Job went through a terrible trial, and he allowed Satan to do all these things to him, do everything to him except take his life. 
But through that, we have an entire book of the Bible with much to learn about God and his nature. And Job was blessed for that in the end. Psalm 37, 37 says, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. So we're to mark the man that is living a righteous life. We think, if you think of uh, farmers and ranchers, they mark their cattle, showing that they're owned. Do you belong to God or do you belong to Satan? You do belong to one or the other, whether you realize it or not. So make the right decision. Psalm 130, verse 3 says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? None of us can stand without the blood of Jesus Christ. God will mark all of those who would live in and follow after iniquity, and they will not be able to stand. This reminds me of the falling away passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Iniquity is running rampant these days. Society is changing for the worse, unfortunately. So, you can see, if God will mark iniquity, who shall stand? We're falling away. We're not standing. Think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everyone else falling down before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But they stood. And they refused. Daniel chapter 3 verse 7 says, Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood their ground, and they ended up being thrown into the fiery furnace. That's why they were thrown in. And the Lord preserved them through that. We're encouraged to stand in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, I take you to the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. There's an interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 13, where it talks about somebody making an idol. And I think of Freemasons when I read this passage. It says, The carpenter stretcheth out his rule. He marketh it out with a line. He fitteth it with planes, and he marketh it out with the compass, and maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man that may remain in the house. And it goes on to talk about part of it he burns, and part of it he makes a god that he bows down to. But it's talking here about the plane, consider that the square, and it says the compass when he's making his marks on the wood to make an idol. 
just like the Freemasons do. They have a square and compass, that's their symbol. And they mark themselves on their vehicles, they're proud of it. You'll see it on their license plates, their stickers on the backs. So they've made their choice this time in their lives. Pray for their salvation. God doesn't want us to make marks on our bodies. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 28 says, You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. God isn't a fan of tattoos. I don't fully understand that, but I believe it. God wants what's best for us. Perhaps this command was given in view of the distant future mark of the beast. But the mark of the beast is in the right hand or in the forehead, not on the skin, but in it. But regardless, God is not a fan of that. It's interesting, and it says cuttings in your flesh for the dead are printing your marks on you, and it makes me think of Ash Wednesday, when people get ash cross or axes put on their foreheads. And they do that in the Roman Catholic Church and other mainline churches. And people line up to do it. No one's forcing them to do it. Maybe similar to what the Mark of the Beast will. And they think they're being spiritual. They think they're doing the right thing. And it's nowhere found in Scripture. And it's related to something for the dead. They take the, they burn the, apparently they burn the palm branches from the previous year's Palm Sunday and use that to create the ash for the Ash Wednesday of the following year. And it actually predates Christianity. It's taken over from a pagan tradition for the god Bacchus, who was killed by Titans, according to legend, who were giants and uh, mourning the loss of Bacchus, which is also referred to Tammuz, and you can find that in Ezekiel in the Old Testament, the abomination happening in the temple of God. Mourning for Tammuz. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. Man's cleansing won't work, whether with physical soap, water, or using some kind of spiritual approach that is not by God's cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ. Only the Lord's blood will work to cleanse us from our sin. Um, in relation to what I just referenced in Ezekiel, there's another passage in Ezekiel about marks upon the foreheads, but it's the good mark. Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 through 7, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house, and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. 
These are all pictures of what will happen in the end times, these kinds of things in the Old Testament that you find. And it says that they began at the sanctuary, which reminds us of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? We have to make sure that we're right with the Lord for professing to follow him. There's a lot of people that feign religious, religiosity, spirituality, pretend that they're holy when they're in direct contradiction to God's word and much of what they do. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Or to mark them and just avoid them. It's easy for a Bible-believing Christian who knows the word of God to spot them very quickly. But there can be young believers who don't know better and flip on the TV and get led astray by these popular televangelists which mix truth with error. We want the whole truth and nothing but the truth of God's word. Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. This is the good mark. This is those that they can follow as an example, as the Apostle Paul recommends. Finally, I'm going to be beginning to wrap up here and read a couple passages where the mark of the beast is referenced in Revelation. Revelation 15.2, and it says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and then that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having harps of, of God. Revelation 16.2 And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there felt a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. The judgment is sure and will not be revoked. Revelation chapter 19 verse 20 And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Revelation 20 verse 4 And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So I don't want to do a lot of speculation on what is the mark of the beast, what exactly will it look like, but we can see today that the technology already exists that they could easily do this today to put a device in your hand or in your forehead that has to be scanned for you to buy or sell. It's not some future thing that we can't imagine. It's very possible to do at this time. But I wanted to speak briefly about the mark in the forehead for a moment. 
Eastern religions, um, even getting into Western religions these days, there's this desire to awaken the third eye. And the third eye is between your two eyes and your forehead. Uh, even uh, in our physiology, inside the brain, there's the pineal gland. If you were to bisect the brain and look at it, it looks like an eye. In fact, it actually has optical nerves in it. And what this gland does is it generally generates melatonin. When it gets dark, it activates and it puts you to sleep. So think about that in the spiritual sense when people are trying to awaken or open their third eye. They're putting themselves to sleep. They're, they're getting blind to the truth. And is that really something that should be sought after? No. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. But when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. I think that we're going to see the signs, Bible-believing Christians, because we're not in darkness. It won't overtake us as a thief. It will take overtake the world as a thief. It says here, You are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For those of us watching and are sober, I think we'll have some idea. Not exactly, but we're going to have... I mean, we can sense it now even. It's, it feels close. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So, don't let this scare you. Trust in the Lord. It says here, comfort yourselves together. We're to encourage one another with the hope that we have in front of us through the Lord. Steve, would you close in prayer? And then we'll sing... Um, Number 256, nothing but the blood after that. Father, we thank thee so much for thy word that is light and onto our path. Without it, Father, we would be walking in darkness, oblivious to the dangers, the spiritual dangers all around us. And yet, Father, we're ashamed to confess that often thy people take thy word lightly and trust their feelings, their emotions, and other sources instead of thy word. Forgive us. Help us, Lord, to be more faithful to the study of thy word and to the application of it to our lives. We thank thee for this message and for our brother's uh, diligence in providing the information that is 
in this difficult chapter. We know that often the truth is ill spoken of, but our Savior is the one who said that he is the truth, the life, and that no man cometh unto thee but through him. So, Father, we thank thee for the word of God and for our blessed Savior and for this day and ask thee to part us now with thy blessings. For we ask it in his name and for his glory always. Amen. Number 256, the red book, and the blood.